0: with you and I hope that you do Um, turn or click to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning Ephesians chapter 4 and as you've seen and guessed we're going to look at newness new year new resolutions Uh, some of you have made resolutions this year I'll give you two of mine so I I committed early late actually late 2018 to be more patient and not get aggravated in traffic and then on January 2nd, I hit Atlanta <laughs> and it, it crumbled after four wrecks or whatever it was in navigating that. So my resolutions are blown. Uh, just truth be known, I'm not, a, I'm not big on making resolutions because for most of us by February 1st, we don't even remember what we promised to do. But I want you to hear what this one author, Jason Swarovski says about resolution. In a journey to Bethlehem, he says, a resolution is something that is marked by firm determination. By firm determination. And then he, he gives us a beautiful poetic image of what that looks like. So listen to this. To the musician, a resolution is a harmony line moving from a dissonant tone, which is one that does not fit the melody, to a constant tone, one that does fit. Harmonies can dance and amaze us with varied complexities for a while, but eventually they must resolve. So for the musician, that's what a resolution sounds like, two disharmonized melodies coming together. For the writer, a resolution is the end of a story, the final element of a twisting plot wrought with conflict, finally resolved to an ending where all is well. When you read stories, you always wanna end with happily ever after. For the chemist, it's the separation of a chemical compound back into its constituents or its simplest parts. To the statesman, a resolution is an expression of the determined will of the publicans, the body that voted them in. To the graphic artist, resolution is the sharpest of the pixel count on the screen and the quality of the image produced. So really by definition, a resolution is a return to simplicity and it's a sharpening of our minds and our hearts and a focus of definition. And he says this, without resolution, art, science, government and life in general all fall into chaos. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all committed just to go back to a simplicity in our faith? So God, we're gonna resolve to sharpen our faith in Jesus Christ and keep it to its simplest parts. To, as Paul would say in Corinthians, to to know Christ and him alone. What if we all committed to do that this year? And so for the next two weeks, we're gonna look at resolutions. Really a, a series entitled Misdirection that we don't wanna do what we've always been doing. Today we're going to focus on the me, and the next week we're going to focus on the we of our church. Where are we going? How are we reaching our community for Christ and what God is doing within us? And I just really believe this. If you don't have a plan to grow in Christ, you're planning to fail. If you just say, well, I'm just going to wake up and do what we've always been doing, you're going to fail. So what does that mean? Look like. And that's what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 4. So I'm going to give you two points. Very simple. Take things off and put things on. And if you do that, if we do that, I believe Jesus will be honored and that we'll grow deep into our faith. So join me in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 20. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Ephesians 4, verse 20. Apostle Paul says, but but that is not how you came to know Christ. And he says, assuming you heard about Jesus and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, and put on the new self the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Let's, Let's pray. Father, we often overcomplicate your will and your ways and your design. Father, may we resolve this year, beginning today, to go back to the basics of our faith, Just say, as Paul said, that I knew nothing when I was with you, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Lord, let us put off our former self. And let us put on righteous rags and deeds that you have given us, the robes of righteousness. And may we put off the rags of self. And help us resolutely do that in our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So very simply, this year, will you determine to put off or take off things in your life? And this is what Paul says. I love how he, he encapsulates this. He's writing to the church of Ephesus and he's speaking now to the church at, in Odenville. Well, it depends on where you are. We're Odenville mailing address and Moody city address. So we're the church at Moody, Odenville, And he's saying, look, if, if you have seen and tasted that God is good, right? He doesn't assume that just because they know about Christ, they know him. Look what he says in verse 21, assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him. You see, if you know Christ, you have been changed. right? I mean, the assumption is, do you know? But if you know Jesus, you are changed as God has already sung and shared. As we've already heard the words, you know, that Christ is our victory, that the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation and you can't be undone. What a glorious reminder that is. So how can we as new people live in new ways? So Paul says, take off, take, take things off that should not be in your life. And this is an, an ancient expression for removing clothes clothes that were soiled Uh, I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago I was working on a project despite what you might have been taught pastors do work and I was just muddy from head to toe we were building something for friends and I was just filthy like from my from the top of my head to the bottom of my shoes so I walk in you know we, we have a garage and so the garage goes right into the laundry room so I just walk in I take my shoes off and and the kids and the dog run up to me and I tell them stop and I look at them and I say, y'all sit. And I look at them and say, don't touch me. So I tell the kids, you sit. And I tell the dog, you don't touch me. And I take the shoes off and just throw my dirty clothes. And, and little, I got to. I gotta get clean. But I, I believe that's the way we should treat our sin and our old self. As if we can't wait to get out of this. Look what he says in verse 22. Take off your former way. So for Paul, this is, an, this is an accomplished fact and an ongoing process. All right, so you've been changed. If you know Christ, you've been changed, but who is he? He's writing to people who have already been changed and he tells them, take off the old ways, take off the old desires, take off the things that you still are holding on to. So yes, you've been changed, yes, you're righteous, but you have a propensity to go back and get the things that you should not be grabbing onto. So what do you need to take off this year? None of you are there yet. And I'm I'm saying, I'm including me in that group, None of us have arrived. None of you have your halo and your wings. In Christ, you are a saint. You'll never become an angel. Two different things, right? I'm, I'm so thankful that I've been redeemed and God has made me a saint in Jesus Christ. But what do you need to take off? So let's think about the first the accomplished fact, the conversion. What does conversion look like in our life? So if you have become a Christ follower, and I had a chance to share with a, um, a young girl today and her, her mom grabbed me and said, hey, my daughter put her faith in Jesus Christ. Can you talk to her? And I said, of course. I mean, that's, that's easy for a pastor. That's a softball, right? And just, I was asking her, I said, so think about Adam and Eve. They were in the Garden of Eden and they sinned and they are now here. And I said, I mentioned her name. I said, okay, so if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ and you're brought back into his presence and you sin again, what happens? Will God kick you out? She said, why would he do that? This is a seven or eight year old. Listen to this. She said, why would God do that? Jesus has already washed me. And I said, I looked at her, I said, if, if every adult in our church could understand that, that we have been made righteous. So the taking off is already an accomplished fact in Christ. We see this in Zechariah 2.4, we see this priest standing before God and, and they say, take off your filthy clothes. And then he said to this priest, see, I have already removed your iniquity and I will clothe you with festive robes. And that's a picture, I believe, of, of what Jesus has done. Yes, he's already taken off your iniquity, but then now we are removing those things in our life that should not be there. You are righteous in Christ. So the removal of your sin is an accomplished fact in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Because if it was up to us, we fail often. Take off, it has been accomplished, but take off these robes. So, what is the ongoing portion of that then? Look what Paul says. Right into redeemed people, take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Take off your old self. You know, if we're honest, we, we have things in our life that we like to go back to. Sin for many of us is comfortable. We've had years of practicing that sin. It's like an old shirt that's tattered or worn or or socks or maybe a Snuggie or a slanket or whatever your pet thing is that you, it's comfortable but it's ugly. And you just like to wear it. For some of you, I I was thinking it's like this, it's like wearing your your favorite pair of Crocs with shorts and and dress socks. Like, don't do that, no. (laughs) I know it's comfortable, but it is sinful. I can't show you the verse, but it is sinful. Do not do that. But that's what sin is. We go back, we know it's ugly. We know we're breaking every societal fashion statement rule that we have, but it's comfortable. And, And sin in our life, lust in our life, those things that we find comfortable, they always let us down, don't they? They always let us down. So Paul says, don't forget, continue to take this off. And so simply I ask, what do you need to take off this year? What in your life, if, if God, if you say, God, I, I just want to remove this one thing, what would that be? Maybe it's anger. Maybe you, you are prone to speaking and you're quick to anger because you're, you're not slow to speak and maybe today you need to to commit to God and say God you know I shouldn't be like this I'm going to resolute I'm going to sharpen my focus on Jesus Christ and I want you to take the anger away because it's not glorifying you maybe it's pride maybe it's you've been caught up in the American dream and lifestyle is really a nightmare the nightmare that says um, you just need more and more and more and more Right? I know your car's comfortable and it gets you where you need to go, but you need a new one. I know you have a closet full of clothes, but you don't have anything to wear. And it's subtle, isn't it? Right? We walk to our pantry that has food in it. And we say, man, I just don't have anything to eat. That's not true. And then you go see our brothers and sisters around the world and they don't have anything to eat. Because they ate their last bowl of rice three days ago. When I think about that, I just I feel convicted of God. It's just so subtly, this culture teaches us that we need more and more and more and more and, and we buy the lie of just feed the fire. And the reality is some of you are, are in debt to your eyeballs and you can't give to the Lord like you want and you can't save like you want and you're just struggling to pay the credit cards because you've been consumed with this idea that you need more and more and more. Maybe today you need to say, Lord, it stops here. I'm going be content with what you have given me. I'm gonna celebrate your generosity and I wanna be a person that lives generously. For you, maybe the thing you need to put off is this idea that you're gonna portray yourself as something you're not on social media. Um, your kids aren't perfect. So quit acting like it on Facebook. They're not. I mean, I have kids. I know what it looks like behind the scenes. I've been the one that's, you know, you're screaming at them. And all of a sudden you say, smile for the picture. (laughs) And what you see on social media is the smile, but you don't see the demonic threat (laughs) that you just gave to them. All you see is, why do we do that? I think because deep down we want people to to see us not as we really are. Like no one's taking a picture of their four year old when you're in the middle of threats. Like, you know, your, your four-year-old's on the, the ground throwing a fit crying and you're in the corner balled up crying. <laughs> you don't want the world to see that. But maybe you need to spend some time to repent and say, God, I've been portraying myself to the world as, I, as if I have it all together and I don't. So maybe you need to back off from that. Maybe, you're, maybe what you need to change and put off is, is you'd like to stir the pot on social media or in, in your family's life or in your neighborhood and you need to repent of that. Because gossip does not honor Christ. And, and Jesus says, blessed are the, he doesn't say the gossip makers, blessed are the peacemakers. And, and I say it again, as, as I remember in, in my life, If someone told me, if I like something or share it on social media, I am the author. I can't say, well, so-and-so said something, I, I think it's funny, so I'm just going to subversely share it. But Lord, my hands are clean. No. That's not God honoring. And And maybe we need to look differently than the world to put off those filthy garments in our life. What is the thing that you need to radically change this year? You know what that is. I believe for some of you right now, the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you're saying, man, I don't like that in my life. Um, One thing, i just kind of be honest, one thing that that I've been trying to do more and been convicted of is just the screen time. You know, that... You, you have your family all around you and here you are on a screen checking the news or the email or sports or whatever it might be and, and looking back and saying, Lord, what am I doing for the kingdom? This, this thing is zapping my life. And maybe you're like me and you just need to say, Lord, that needs to change. And who, who cares if the world says that's what you should do, that's okay. We live by a different standard. Take off. The sinful ways. That's not how you learn Christ. Now, now, hear me out. Not only do you, we need to take off stuff, but, but we're not only known as Christians by what we take off. Now, some of us are, you know, we're only known by what we're against. Now, hear what the word of God says. If all you're known by is what you take off, you know what that leaves you as? What they say in Mississippi and Alabama? Naked. Not naked. Naked. And God doesn't want us to be naked, does he? Think back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve realize they've sinned and that they're naked and they, they find these, these leaves that are inadequate. In the first sacrifice in the Bible, God kills an animal and he clothes them with adequate clothes. So don't just be known by what you take off, but be known this you by what you put on. So I think the first part is, Lord, let us resolve to take things off. But then we need to put on something. Look what he says here in verse 24. Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. What if? What if the church of God was known for what they put on? What if the world looked at the people of God and said, we do not get you guys. You worship someone that you said was born through a virgin birth. That's not possible. Do you get that, right? I was at a hospital Friday at this this new birth. That's not possible. I mean, you realize when the world finds the, the story of Jesus Christ unbelievable, that a man would come and he'd be born of a virgin that he would live a sinless life, that's not possible. That he would die on the cross, that is possible. That he would in three days rise again. And that if you believe that, that his sinlessness would become yours and your sinfulness would become his and you would have the righteousness of God. Do you find, don't you see that this is unbelievable? And yet it's true, it's the greatest story ever lived. That's the power we have in Jesus Christ. And so what if the world knew us by what we put on? Paul says this, put on what self? The new self, the words not new in chronology. It's not like you bought a a used car, but it's new to you. This is is radically different than the former self. This is where that means radically changed and new. It's completely opposite of what you were. So this is what you were, now put on what you are not, but God has made you to put on. For the early church, the same phrase meant baptism. That, that baptism is a representation that, hey, Jesus has changed me. And I was talking to this young girl um, this morning and I said, I'm married, right? She said, yes. She said, Miss Casey, is your wife? I said, yes. I said, okay, what does this ring represent? You're married. I said, okay, I'm going to take my ring off. I said, what am I? She said, you're still married. Like, it's so simple, a seven-year-old can get it. I said, I put the ring back on. I said, what am I? I'm married. I said, why? Because you made a commitment to your wife. And baptism is that beautiful picture that we have. Jesus has taken off our old clothes and put new clothes on us. And I have to believe that some of you here right now have never fully displayed your faith through baptism. And you need to. God desires you to that, to do that. And so maybe right now the next step of your faith is that this year you're gonna commit and say, God, I haven't been faithful like I should be. And it starts with baptism. Well, I want to show the world that yes, the old self has died and the new self will be raised to life. You're not baptized because you want to change. But it's a symbol of an inward new covenant that God has made with you through his son, Jesus Christ. So if that's you, your response today is, Lord, it starts now. I want to be baptized. I want to show the world that you've changed me. I, this, this new self has been put on. So what do you need to put on this year? That's only a question that you can answer. Um, next week, we're going to look at three ways that we're going to change the church this year. And it's very simply: we want you to put belong, grow, and go. So, what does it mean to belong? Church is not something that you go to. And I've been guilty of this a lot, right? We ask people, "Do you go to church?" There's a fundamental flaw to that question, right? You can't. So the question we need to ask is: Are you the church? So just go up to someone and say, you is or you ain't, right? Because that's, when you, when you come to faith in Christ, you belong to Christ and you are the church. You belong to the church. That's who you are. That's your new DNA. So do you belong? Maybe you are in Christ and you've just floated around. Maybe here we're gonna have our next steps class um, in, in several weeks here. If you wanna be a covenant member at this church, if God is leading you there, that's where you should be. So it's time to quit sitting on the sidelines and belong to what God wants you to belong to. I think it's time for us, as a society in the South, to to quit perpetuating the lie for us to tell people. Well, you know, you can make a profession of faith, and nothing really has to change. You don't have to go to you don't have to worship regularly. You don't have to change your lifestyle. Um, Nothing has to change, but just make a profession. What Bible have we been reading? What Jesus are we following? This is the same Jesus that goes to fishermen. He says, hey, guys, I want you to follow me, but here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna still fish, but not for fish. You're gonna fish for men. That's a radical change. This is the same, same Jesus that through his word in Ephesians says, hey, take off your former self. Quit wearing the old and put on the new. So we want to focus our lives on, we want to belong to God what you want us to belong to. Are you ready to do that? And you know why? You know why if Hebrews says that we are to gather together to not forsake ourselves? Not just because it's good for you. It is. Not just because we want to be known and make God known around the world. It is. But because you stir someone up to love and good works in Hebrews ten twenty five. Think about that. Who have you stirred up today to love and good works? When I was sitting with the seven-year-old this morning and hearing her share your faith, you know what what happened to me? I want to stop her and say, look, let's go to Walmart or let's go shopping. We need to share the story. We need to share what God has done in your life. And hearing this young girl share what God is doing in her life stirred me up. I'm like, man, you're preaching to the preacher. Let's go do something. That's what belonging to the body of Christ does. Who are you stirring up to love and good work? Secondly, that putting on. So are you willing to put on belonging to the body of Christ like you should belong? Secondly, are you growing like you should be growing? I think of it this way. You will never grow up unless you are growing roots deep. You'll never grow up unless you're growing deep. So what does that look like practically? The number one indicator of spiritual growth in our lives. Anyone want to venture a guess? I'll give you a hint, it's the Word of God. And and statisticians have been polling people over and over again, you know what they found? That people who are growing in their faith, that these people engage with the Word of God on a daily basis. And here's what's phenomenal about that. They didn't put a time on it. They didn't say these are prayer warriors who spend 12 hours a day praying and they're growing. These are people who who read, they just read for 20 hours a day. No, but there's something, if you open the word of God that is living and active daily, it will change your life. How do I know? Because it changed me. And there have been stories over, at least Strobel is one of those, men who have opened the word of God, C.S. Lewis, it changed his life, right? Men who have opened the Bible to disprove God, And they ended up finding that it's true and he is real and he wants a relationship and it changed their life. So are you willing to commit to daily engage with the word of God? Find a Bible reading plan. We'll share some of those next week. Um, There's lots online for apps, but but find a Bible reading plan just to, to get into the word of God. If you do not have a plan, you are planning to fail. Grow deep. Roots. What does Jesus do when Satan tempts him in the desert? He quotes the word of God. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. But maybe on a, a more personal level, husbands, wives, what do you need to put on this year? Husbands, do you need to, to listen better? Do you need to love more? Do you need to gauge, engage with your family? Wise, you, do, you, do you need to be more tolerant and soft towards your husband? What, what do you need to put on the righteous new self? Fathers, mothers, what are you constantly watering your, your family with the word of truth? And maybe you say, well, man, have you been living at my house? It's chaotic and we, we can't do family devotions. We can't pray regularly. But you can commit to do that today. You can say, God, it starts right now. And we don't have to get together and have an offering after, at every altar call at our house every night. But we just want to gather and pray. And, and we're going to create different rhythms in our life because God has changed us. Students, what do you need to put on? Maybe for our, our young men and our young ladies, you, say, you know what? I'm not going to enter into that relationship because it's not healthy. I'm not going to look at those things on Instagram. I'm not going to look at those things on the internet because they're they're not good for me. And I'm going to put on purity. I'm not going to be involved in that gossip. I'm not going going to cheat, but I'm going to put on things that honor Christ. What is it for you guys? Because I tell you, if you walk around with righteous robes, you're going to look different. Or they're going to look at you and say, man, Abby May, look at that new outfit. And you're going to kill me for saying that. Please forgive me. But but to look at the people of God and say, man, what is different about you? Oh, I know you're pursuing Christ. And when others curse you, you bless them. And when others nag you, you're patient and you're tolerant. And when people cut you off in traffic, you're not screaming like a maniac. What is with you people? And we can say, we don't get it, we don't understand fully, but we do know that Jesus gives us new robes. And we're going to put those on this year. And we're going to take the old off. Are you willing to grow in your faith? And lastly, this year, to put on, are you willing to go? Matthew 28, Jesus Simply says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not the great suggestion. Jesus doesn't say, if you get around to it, guys, I know you're busy, but if, if, you, if you're super spiritual, can you, just not, can you do this in your life? Can you go to all nations? No, this is the great commandment. This is assumed that anyone who follows Christ will want to show the world that he is worth it. And that's not a call to our youth alone. It's a call to every single person here. And the greatest mission field you have, if you are in the workforce, the greatest mission field you have is where you work and where you live. If you're a dad, your greatest mission field are your, your first your wife and secondly your kids. Thirdly, it's where you work. So you don't have to go to Zambia first. That would be great if you did, but you need to share and go with those that you're working And I know what you're thinking, man, if you only knew where I worked, you wouldn't be saying that right now. But what does Jesus promise us? He says, don't worry when they drag you before the course and don't worry about what you're going to say because in the moment of need, I will give you the words. And let me just, let me just help you here. Your words aren't going to save anyone. So if you're just thinking, man, if I had this nailed down and I could get this gospel presentation out perfectly, then someone would say, wow, you nailed it. Now I believe. None of you came to faith because someone gave you a slick presentation. You know why we come to faith in Jesus Christ? Because someone was faithful to go and in the process of going and telling, we realized that we were sinful, wretched people in need of a great savior. You know what I remember of the pastor who was preaching when I, was, I put my faith in Jesus Christ? I don't remember a word that he said. I just know this, that every word out of his mouth, the Holy Spirit was shooting darts into my heart. And I just knew by the end of that service, God, I don't know what he's saying, but I do realize if I died right now, I would not be in relationship with you because I am not in relationship with you right now. And I ran to the throne and said, God, I don't care what I have to do. I need this salvation. Go, are you willing to go? And before you commit and say, well, as soon as Jesus shows me where I will, no, commit your life to go and let God put you on the map. Commit to go and let God put you on the map. Misdirection is going in the wrong direction. You know, if we don't have a plan, we're planning to fail. So I just simply encourage you two things. Put off the old. And we're going to have a time of response shortly. And maybe you just need to come and sit where you are and not sing. And you need to say, God, reveal to me the things that I need to take off. And then show me the things that you want me to put on, that I might live differently for the kingdom. There's an old song that talks about robes, and some of you know this. I think the lyrics are going to be behind me, um, but this, this song says, "When we shall come with trumpet sounds, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne." What if we made a commitment this morning? Well, I don't know what's going to happen this year, but but I want to be dressed in your righteousness alone. Well, that's my resolution. A sharp commitment, Father, to, to the things that are hindering me and slowing me down. Well, I'm going to remove those by the power of your Holy Spirit and I want to put on nothing but the robes of righteousness. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control what if we hit our knees and we say God let us put on the righteousness of Jesus so what about you what do you need to remove and what do you need to put on maybe you're here and you just think I don't know if this is possible Maybe you think, well, I've been battling my sin and no matter how hard I try, it is not going away. My question would be, do you know Jesus Christ? Because in Christ, he breaks, as the song says, he breaks the power of sin, breaks the power of canceled sin. He has canceled your debt. Alistair Begg, one of my favorite pastors says this, in Christ, although sin might remain, it does not reign. And so if you're here and you say, well, I don't know if if this is possible. In Jesus Christ, it is possible. So let's go back to the simple gospel. John 3, 16 encapsulates it well. For God loved the world. So loved, right? He he loved it very much that, that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him and believe is not an intellectual pursuit. Belief is, I believe it to the point where my life is radically changed by him. Will not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world might be saved. Here's the bad news. Without Jesus Christ, you are already condemned in your sin. So pastor, that's a really bad thing to say. It is, but I say that because I love you. And I tell you the bad news about your situation to tell you the good news. If you believe in Jesus today, you will be saved. By faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, you will be saved. He said, well, what does that look like? What must I do to be saved? It's a prayer something like this. God, I know I have messed up. The Bible calls that sin. And we all have sin. And God, I know that I deserve to be out of your presence forever. And I know there's no way I can take off my unrighteousness, but I know that Jesus died for me. And it's not fair, but he did. And he promises that if I believe, he will forgive me of my sins and make me righteous forever. And God, today, I believe. And the Bible says, if you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And if that is you, do not delay. There is no better time to trust in Jesus Christ for the first time than this time. Let's pray.